the parable of the sower. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you did, sorry, long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Gordon. Hi, everyone. 
Great to be here tonight. I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at church and I want to open up this um, together for the next few minutes. Would you pray with me, though, as as we get started? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for bringing us together this afternoon. And as we turn our minds to this, would you please bring illumination? Would you bring clarity so that we can understand And would you speak to our hearts, taking this word by the power of your spirit and planting it deeply in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, surely if God was there, he could just show up and everyone in the world would believe in him and there'd be no more conversations about God. There'd be no more questions about it. Everyone would be on the same page and everyone could believe in him. Surely if God is all-powerful, then he has the power to make himself known, to show up in the world so that all people can see him, can believe, and we won't even have to discuss it anymore. That's how one of my friends challenged me a few years ago about my faith. Uh, He said, Josh, why are so many people confused if God is all-powerful? Why doesn't he just show up and make himself known to the world? And it is true, isn't it, that there's lots of things in life that are very obvious and things that we don't dispute, like the existence of the sun or the moon. We can see them. We can see the light of the sun. Like the existence of the earth that's under our feet. We know it's here. Like the existence of each other, other human beings. We know that... People exist because we can interact with people. Why is it that when it comes to Jesus and his kingdom, some people and many of us here tonight would say, this is the fundamental thing that I'm going to base my life on. This is going to change the direction of my life. And other people hear that same news and they say, no big deal. I'm not really interested. Why is there such a polarity between the responses to Jesus, if he's real, if he's so obviously true, why is this happening? And what's more, if Christianity is true, why do some people commit to it for a while and commit in a big way, but then give up on it after some time as well? I was speaking to a member of our church not that long ago uh, who had been part of our church for some time but then had stopped coming and people had reached out to this person to see how they're going but they 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 weren't coming to church anymore and then I met this person in a shop and he said to me Josh I'm not a Christian anymore I've gone in a new direction with my life I've moved on to something else If Jesus is real and true, why does this happen? Shouldn't it be obvious to everyone? Shouldn't everyone be able to know that he's there, that he's the king, and come and follow him? Well, in this parable, Jesus actually answers that question for us. This is what he is answering in this whole section of the parable of the sower, or maybe we should call it the parable of the four soils. The same message goes out, the same God is sovereign over the universe, the same Jesus is being presented, the same kingdom is at stake, but yet there's 
different responses to him. As uh, has been said by Joel tonight, we're returning to Matthew's Gospel, which we've been looking at for a few years as a church, and we're coming back to chapter 13 tonight to pick up where we left off. And in this part of the Gospel, Jesus is already famous. Lots of people are following him, lots of crowds coming around him. They've seen the miracles, the displays of his power. They've heard the message that he has proclaimed which at the Sermon on the Mount. They saw it as being with an authority that was beyond the teachers of the law and the scribes. They can see that there's something unique about Jesus, but people are still responding differently to him. In chapter 11, back in chapter 11, John the Baptist, who's a prophet, he comes and sends his disciples to Jesus and says, tell us, are you the Messiah? Uh, They want to know if he's the real deal. John doesn't quite know. He's got a few doubts. Uh, And then Jesus begins to denounce some of the towns where his miracles were done. He says, if you guys, if other places had seen what you guys have seen, they would have repented, they would have come to me. In chapter 12, there's the Pharisees and the religious leaders coming around Jesus, throwing questions at him, accusations at him, skepticism at him. And Jesus' own family even seemed to be a bit skeptical in chapter 12 because they want him to come and hang out with them rather than spend all this time with these other people. But then today, chapter 12 begins like this. Have a look, pick up your Bible, chapter, 12, chapter 13 verse 1 of Matthew's Gospel. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. There's so many people there, Jesus has to get into a boat to get away from the crowd so he can teach the crowd. So there's loads of people Loads of interest in Jesus, but loads of division as well. So what does Jesus tell us? First thing I think he tells us tonight from Matthew chapter 13 is that not everyone will hear. Not everyone will hear the gospel message. Back in 2007, there was a um, concert uh, uh, violinist, virtuoso Joshua Bell, who did a social experiment where he decided to go into a very public area in Washington, D.C., play six concert pieces over a 40-minute period and see what happened. And 1,097 people passed by, uh, just 27 people gave money, and only seven people stopped to listen for any period of time to him playing. And in the end, he only made about $50, which is much less than he would make playing a concert. People didn't have ears to hear this amazing world-class music, and so they just walked past him. And Jesus says something similar happens when it comes to God's word. He says, not everyone who hears about him will actually hear. Yes, they might hear with their ears, but it doesn't translate into understanding. It's not real hearing. In other words, spiritually, it's like people are not hearing the message at all. So he gives us these four different types of soil, and the first three of them, uh, 
are about how not everyone will hear. The first one is the image of the seed that falls on the pathway. Verse 3, let's read it together. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. What does it mean? If we didn't have an explanation, it would be hard to know, but Jesus gives us the explanation. Verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into their heart, and that is the seed sown on the path. So for this person, the word comes to their life, uh, but it's like they never heard it. It just bounces off. It's snatched away. And as a pastor, I do see this happen with people. And I see it quite often. For many of us, we've changed our life direction, our beliefs, our attitudes, our goals, our dreams, our hopes around who Jesus is. He has become the centre of our lives. But for others, they might come here once and they don't really want to talk about it. And it doesn't make an impact on their life. And now, is there a problem with the message that we're sharing or the way that we're sharing it? There could be, and we need to think about that. But if we're accurately telling people what Jesus says, Jesus says that the problem is not with the delivery or the, or the messenger, but with the mes- not with the message or the messenger but with the soil that it falls on, with the heart that, that it falls on, because the devil comes and snatches that seed and takes it away. That's the first soil. The second image is of a seed falling into a shallow soil. See in your Bible in verse 5, some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, they were withered because they had no root. And again, Jesus gives us the explanation in verse 20. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This is the person who hears about Jesus, becomes enthusiastic about him, makes a quick response to him, a joyful response to him, but they give up when it gets hard. And so it kind of stops as quickly as it starts. Now, I think this is one of the reasons we need to resist that culture of making overly emotional appeals for people to come and follow Jesus. Now, I think there's a place for an altar call or, you know, calling people to come forward in church. I'm not going to do it tonight. Don't stress. Uh, But there is a place for that. And I've been on youth camps where that's a great thing and and it can be done well. But I've also seen it done badly where people are in a heightened state and they're not thinking about what their decision means And they enthusiastically say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And they go up the back of the auditorium and they get prayer. And they say, yes, we had 100 people converted tonight, but those poor kids go home and their parents weren't happy they made that decision. They weren't prepared 
for that and their friends didn't like that they made that decision and then they give up their faith as quickly as they started. We don't want to do those things that attract a shallow response in people because Jesus says that kind of soil, it doesn't last. People need to know about the cost and, and what it means to follow Jesus into the future. They need to be told that before they make a commitment. We shouldn't get people to sign the paperwork and then tell them about what it means. We should follow the practice, and I love this story, of someone like John Stott, who preaching in Sydney in 1958, quite a while ago now, uh, they were running a mission week on the campus at Sydney University. John Stott was an English preacher, um, pastor, writer, and he came and gave these sermons. But on the last night of the mission week, he was in a state of great weakness and disappointment because he'd heard just before he preached that his dad had passed away back in the UK. And he was also at the same time losing his voice. And so what did he do? He just, let, let me read to you what he did. It was already late afternoon, so I didn't feel I could walk away at that time. I went to the great hall and asked a few students to gather around me. I asked one of them to read, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. A student read these verses, and then I asked them to lay hands on me and pray that those verses might be true in my own experience. When time came for me to give my address, I preached on the broad and narrow ways in Matthew chapter 7. I had to get within half an inch of the microphone, and I croaked the gospel like a raven. I couldn't exert my personality. I couldn't move. I couldn't use any inflections in my voice. I croaked the gospel in monotone. Then when the time came to give the invitation, there was an immediate response, larger than any other meeting during the mission as students came flocking forward. I've been back to Australia about 10 times since, and on every occasion, someone has come up to me and said, do you, believe, do you remember that final meeting in the university in the Great Hall? I jolly well do, I reply. Well, they say, I was converted that night. What did he do? He trusted in the power of the gospel, not himself, delivery, not the conditions around it. And so the seed went deeply into good soil rather than the shallow emotional response that falls away quickly. So there's the first soil on the path, the second soil, the shallow soil. The third soil, Jesus says, verse 7 other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Again, Jesus, uh, again, Jesus gives the explanation. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So many people start out really well in their Christian life. They pray well and they're faithful in serving others and they're sacrificial and they're joyful in their faith and they're consistent and, and passionate. But then something happens. Maybe there's a job and a wage that begins to distract them or a promotion in their work that takes them off track 
or an opportunity in their work to start traveling the world and they can't be connected to a church community or maybe it's getting sucked into a suffocating mortgage or just a crazy lifestyle and too many commitments or financial issues or job issues and these things start to come in and choke the faith and there's no longer a desire to serve Jesus and the kingdom and all that's left now are the glory days from the past when they did things for the Lord and all that's left is the worries of life. I'm not referring to mental health problems when I say that, which are prominent, sadly, but Jesus is talking about just not having your vision clouded out by all these other things so that you can't focus on Him anymore. And in Sydney, I wonder if this is actually the most prominent soil around us, just this soil of getting choked out by all the things that there are to worry about. I want you to notice the language Jesus uses around wealth. Have a look at verse 22 again. He calls it the deceitfulness of wealth. Do you believe that? Do you believe that wealth is deceitful? That it might actually fool you into believing something? That you just get tricked? It promises to make life easier for you, but spiritually speaking, it can make life more challenging. It promises to make you more powerful, but it can also make you more selfish. And if we're not careful, it will lie to us and trap us. And next minute, we're engrossed in these worries of life and wealth. By the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's work in us, we need to show our wallets who is the boss of who. <laughs> that Jesus is the boss of your wallet, not your wallet being the boss of your life. And the deceitfulness of wealth can lead to something very tragic here, which is unfruitfulness. You're just living a life that is choked out. There's no fruit left. A few years ago, I was looking after a house and was put in charge of looking after the veggie patch. And I had to go out there and weed it every single day to make sure that the small little herbs and all these beautiful vegetables weren't choked out by the weeds. And they grew so quickly in the soil next to the, 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 the good plants that it really had to be constant. And I want to say to you tonight, I just want to say this really clearly, watch out. Just watch out for the things around you in your life that will choke your Christian faith. And by God's grace, put spiritual roundup on those weeds and get rid of them. So those are the first three soils. And the point from Jesus is that not everyone will hear. Not everyone will hear. But why is that? What's actually going on underneath the surface? Why doesn't everyone hear? Well, Jesus explains that as the disciples ask him a question. In verse 11, they come to him and they ask, Why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom 
of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. And the thing here is that God actually gives parables to people's hearts when, uh, as, as a response to their hard-heartedness. God actually uh, gives parables as a judgment on people who won't hear his word. Now, we don't, we're not used to thinking of parables like that. We tend to think of them as illustrations to make the truth clearer. But you see here, Jesus actually has to explain this parable in private to his disciples for them to understand. He gives to them the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And they're not just an illustration because by themselves, this story of the farmer dropping the seeds would just be like a great um, agricultural lesson. But Jesus explains the spiritual meaning to his disciples. And he says parables can be a sign of God's judgment on people who just refuse to listen. And so on the one hand, God is sovereignly choosing people to reveal his truth to, which is the disciples. And on the other hand, the crowds are actually hardening their hearts against Jesus and against his message. Because you know what's going to happen in, a, in not that long in the Gospels. These same crowds who are amazed at his teaching and his miracles will be nowhere to be seen when Jesus is hung up on the cross and people will run away from him. So there are some who will not hear. The second thing is here that some will hear. Some will hear the gospel message. See verse 8. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred 60 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And the explanation from Jesus, verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. It's the same message, the same conditions, the same sovereign God, the same saviour, but a different outcome for some, some people, the gospel is nothing, but for some people, it's the best news they've ever heard, and it transforms their life completely. And this, friends, this church is us. See what Jesus says in verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. Now, sometimes I've heard this parable used in sermons mainly to warn us about the the three soils that are unfruitful. And I think there's a place for that, and we've done that tonight. But here's the bigger thing Jesus is teaching us here. The big thing he's teaching us is that we need to get our expectations right about God's kingdom and about who's going to listen and about who's going to respond. Because there's this whole world around Jesus at the time, and many of them are not following him. Many are not responding with faith and with understanding. And Jesus is saying, that's normal. That is how life works. Because the seed of the gospel doesn't always fall on good soil. And he's saying, don't be discouraged when you see that other people aren't following me. This is what I promised was going to happen. But if you're anything like me, sometimes you think, well, there's so many intellectual, smart people in the world. And you hear them in the media and you, you meet them in your life may see them in a university tutorial. So many wonderful, smart people with so many gifts, but who have no time for Jesus. And you think, am, 
am I a schmuck who's just swallowed some pill? But Jesus says, no, there's things involved here that we can't even see. There's the devil. There is the world pulling people away. There is the flesh, the sinful nature of people. So I want to say this parable is actually a moment, a great moment for us to rejoice in what Jesus has done. And just to thank God, say, thank you, Lord, that by your grace, because it's not through our effort, by your grace, you have shown these things to me. That You've brought people into my life to tell me these things that you've told me about Jesus and his kingdom and what it means. Back around uh, 2009, I was leading at a youth group in my home church in the Blue Mountains. And it was my last year in that church before I moved away to start a ministry apprenticeship down in the city. And I had the opportunity that year with some of the year seven and eight boys in that youth group to just sit down with them and pray a prayer of commitment to Christ, which is what they wanted to do. Uh, They told me that they're ready to follow Jesus. I said, well, here's what you need to do. You pray this prayer. Ask for God's forgiveness of your sins, and God will receive you uh, on the basis of what Jesus has done at the cross as, as his child. So we prayed that prayer together. And I didn't quite know exactly where each of them was up to. I didn't know how they'd go in their faith, and I had to move away. But a year later, I came back to a youth camp, and one of the boys uh, ran up to me, and he'd um, had a growth spurt, so I didn't quite recognize him. But he'd also had a spiritual growth spurt, and he had this joy and boldness and energy now, this was a guy who lived a difficult life. He, his dad wasn't around. He was raised by a single mom. He'd had a hard life. Uh, but he had stuck with the decision he'd made, and he was so excited to tell me that. And he was on this camp standing up telling his testimony in front of all the other kids. And the, the work of the gospel was so evident in his life. It was growing fruit of joy and thankfulness and uh, passion to see more and more people come to know Jesus. He wanted to talk to me about Jesus, about the gospel. Now, what did I do for him? I didn't do anything for him apart from give him the word of the kingdom. And that word changed his life. And it will change your life and it will change the life of your friends if it falls on good soil. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, once said, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did everything. And there are so many things we can do as churches and in ministry, privately, in small groups, in this big gathering, in other gatherings. So many things we can do, but I want to say this. We have to keep the word of the kingdom at the center of what we do. We have to keep Jesus' word at the center of everything we do. Getting out the Bible by yourself each day to, to read it. And meditate on what God says. Getting out the Bible in your small group. Getting out the Bible in this gathering. 
The Word of God needs to be at the center because it is the Word that produces the work in the lives of people. J.I. Packer says, Preach and teach because it's His truth and the blessing of revival cannot reach further than the gospel has gone. We want to see revival. We pray for that. But it's not going to go further than the gospel message. Not everyone will hear. Some will hear. The last thing is that those who hear produce fruit. Do you notice the pattern in this parable? People hear, they understand, they turn to God, and they bear fruit. What is the fruit? Well, throughout Matthew's gospel, it's the fruit of a righteous life, the life that is conformed to Jesus, the life that has him as Lord, where slowly you are being transformed to be more like him, not that you'll be perfect and you'll need to ask for forgiveness, but you will slowly conform all the details of your life around him as Lord. And notice how the crop that grows can be differently sized. You see that in verse 23. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And you know, there are different gifts and different opportunities, different histories, different makeups in this room tonight. And you're not going to be like the person next to you in church. Everyone's going to be different and you're going to have your opportunities to produce fruit and they're going to have their opportunities to be conformed to Christ and the impact that can have as, as more and more people hear about the gospel through you. But what, is, what matters the most is that you do what you can do by God's grace. It doesn't matter that you can't do what someone else does. It just matters that you do what you can do with your capacity and history and your energy levels and your wisdom by the power of God. But there's always fruit. The fruit doesn't save you, but it proves that you are saved. And if you are saved, there will be fruit. And you might not even see it, but there's going to be fruit can tell you about Christians in my life, a, a friend who encouraged me constantly when I was in a period of feeling unstable and anxious and spoke to this person on the phone and he encouraged me and prayed for me, shared my burdens. I can think of the preacher who worked hard on a sermon so that they brought Jesus to us. I can think of my parents who worked to have a home where they, they weren't perfect, but they tried to be like Jesus and get his word out with us. I can think of those who've shown hospitality to others in the church, had people in their home for weeks on end, looking after them. I can think of people who linger around after church, looking for people who want to talk and praying and including other people who might not be part of their circle. And I can think of those who have given money so that others can be trained up in ministry. And I can think of those who've prayed for others at church and uh, loved others and followed people up. There's all kinds of fruit. 
And it's because Jesus has a hold of the people who his word goes into. And the word of the kingdom, when it falls on a receptive heart, that, that life has a new master, a new Lord, a new saviour. Now, in all of this, we're not responsible for how people respond. You can't affect how someone else is going to respond to Jesus and his offer of eternal life and grace. You can't, you can't affect that. You can't change that. What we do is we just make sure we get the seed right. We just make sure we get the message right and get that message out there. And then we pray to the sovereign God that he would bring people to know him and that that seed would fall on good soil. Blessed are your eyes because they see, says Jesus. Blessed are your ears because they hear. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to everyone. So let's be the people who scatter seed because we don't know what type of soil it's going to fall on. And when it does fall on the good soil, oh, the joy is going to be great as we see God grow his harvest in the world, as more and more people's lives are transformed by the power of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that you've given us this word from the lips of Jesus about the message, the word of the kingdom. And we pray that we would have ears to hear this news, that when it comes to our ears, that it would translate to understanding. And Father, we pray that it would translate from understanding to fruitfulness in our lives as we are conformed to be more like Jesus. So we pray you give us joy in what you've done in us and hopefulness, Father, in what you might do in others around us. We thank you for the work you are doing amongst us and for the people you are bringing to know uh, your truth. And we would pray even that this Tuesday night as Alpha begins that you might bring more people along to come and know this uh, life-changing news that Jesus has come to be the saviour of the world. And we just pray this in his name. Amen.